Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Baylife Church Port Stevens. We hope you find this message challenges and inspires you in your daily Christian walk. For more information, visit www.baylifechurch.org.au. Bring that word up on screen. I don't know about you, but for me, this is actually a bit of a scary word. Um, everybody reacts differently to this idea, but it's kind of an extrovert thing maybe, a thing that some people do, some people are gifted for. But I look at this word and I'm like, I basically just see the word pressure. Like, I could almost swap the two words around and I wouldn't even notice. Um, It's either pressure on me, because I'm a Christian and this is what I'm supposed to do, I'm supposed to be going out and telling everybody about Jesus, which I should do and I should want to do. I'm just being brutally honest here. That's pressure number one. Pressure number two, I feel like I'm going to put pressure on somebody else. And they're going to, they're going to feel like they have to say yes or say no by the end of the conversation. And I'm putting this big kind of burden on them to respond. And then, other than me and the person that I'm talking to, there's just a big pressure over the whole thing because of what's at stake. So we look at it and it's a kind of scary word. Um, so another, another thing that adds to that honestly crappy feeling that I have when I look at this word is that I'm not evangelist guy. I'm just not. I might seem like an extrovert. I can hold a microphone and speak without completely bungling it up but that doesn't make me an extrovert. I don't like putting people on the spot. I don't like making people uncomfortable. I pretty much just want to leave everybody alone. I do. That's just my personality. I want everyone to chill and be happy and everything to be sweet. So, uh, this this word freaks me out a little bit. Um, now, that I'll, I'll correct this, what I've just said. I'll correct this a little bit, actually quite a lot. Because everything I've just said... I can honestly say, is how I used to feel about the idea of sharing Jesus with someone. I used to feel this intense pressure. Pressure on me, pressure on them, pressure on the whole thing. But I can honestly say that that's not how I feel anymore. I actually had an opportunity just this week. It was really cool. It was a visit at a life group. And he was just super interested in the gospel. He'd never heard it before. He's new to church. And I'm like, there are still people in our country, who don't even know what the cross is. Like, it's incredible. So many people don't even know the basic story. And all of us have a story, and all of us know enough about the Bible to basically share the good news of Jesus. So I did that. And he wanted to know so much. He was so curious. He basically asked me, what's the whole story? So I gave him like a 20-minute Bible. It was awesome. I just said the story from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation. And I'm like, you sure you, keep, you, you sure you still want to hear more? He's like, yeah, yeah, keep going, keep going. So I just kept going. And we'll see each other again in a couple of weeks. And it wasn't that hard. It wasn't a horrible experience where I felt like I had to kind of close some deal with this guy and finish the job on day one. Um, it was just great. It really was. Um, now... We can, be, we can be very misguided when we think about being evangelist guy or evangelist girl as though that's some kind of perfect profile that God's looking for. Like, 
God needs these kind of A-type, um, type A, extrovert personalities to save His world, when we know that that's not true. We know that that's not true. All we have to do is look at the Gospels and look at who Jesus chose. They were a ragtag bunch of all sorts. They weren't all, you know, one common misconception is that they were all poor nobodies. They weren't. They were a bit of everything. Peter was kind of a weird choice because he's this fisherman who keeps on forgetting that he, he loves Jesus and believes in Jesus. But God does a lot of work on him and he becomes the rock on which he builds his church. Jesus builds his church on Peter, of all people. Then you've got someone like Paul, who helped to establish the early church. And he's this hulking beast. He's like, he's got every credential anybody in the ancient world could possibly want to share the gospel. He was a Roman citizen, he was highly educated. Everywhere he went, he, had, he commanded respect. But God didn't just choose the A-type extrovert guy. God chose a little bit of everyone. So it's obviously possible for all of us to bring the good news of Jesus into the world in some way. So I just want to start with that. Now, when Greg was kind enough to ask me to speak in this series, um, from a biblical perspective on what evangelism is, what it looks like, and then why we do it, the more I sat on that really great question, the more I realised that there's a question behind that question. A question that we should probably get to, even before we get to that. And that is the question of another scary word, salvation. And we're just going to dare for a few minutes before we move into the rest of the message to ask the question, what is salvation? And how do we share that thing with somebody else? Let's just bring that word up. There we go. There's another beautiful but sometimes scary word. Now, why would this word be scary? Well, again, we think about what's at stake when we think about salvation sometimes. It's often a word that fills our minds with feelings or images about heaven and hell or the end of the world. Um, maybe, maybe we actually just think of someone saying a prayer of, of repentance. A, a beautiful thing that we do in our church is people come forwards and they respond and we think of that moment as being salvation. Well, we've got to have the courage to ask, in the light of Scripture and the whole Bible, is that really what it's all about? Maybe part of the story, but is that really what the Bible is saying salvation is all about? Just wrestling with my notes a little bit here. We quickly find out, when we look in Scripture, a lot of surprising things that the Bible is not. Sorry, salvation is not. Salvation is not someone coming into a relationship with the Bible. This is an interesting one. But sometimes we can, we can have this incredible attachment to the Bible and it almost becomes an idol and a God in itself. I love Scripture. I don't personally know anybody who geeks out on the Bible more than I do. But the Bible is not my God. The Bible is not like some fourth person of the Trinity. The Bible points to Jesus and my affections must be focused on Him. So salvation is not coming into a relationship with the Bible. 
Salvation's not coming into a relationship with the church, even though the church is an incredibly important part of Christian life. It's not really even, and this is a very interesting one that takes a little bit of wrestling with, or at least readjustment. It's not even so much about heaven and hell and the end of the world. It's part of the story, but actually when you read the Gospels and you just read how much the Apostles and Jesus talk about different things when they're preaching the Gospel, they don't say very much about heaven and hell and the end of the world. When they do speak about heaven, one thing that can confuse us is they talk about the Kingdom of Heaven, but that's a different thing. And they talk about the Kingdom of Heaven, usually as something that's coming to earth. And Jesus, when He prayed, He said, pray like this, Our Father in Heaven, holy is Your name, Your Kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in Heaven. So, it's just interesting that that's where our brains go. Our brains go to Heaven and Hell and the end of the world, often, when we think of salvation. So, what is it all about? Well, when we open the Scriptures, we can track salvation right back to the beginning, to the very first time it's even mentioned. And it might be a surprise that it doesn't happen in the Gospels. We don't hear about salvation first in the story of Jesus. We're going to look, believe it or not, at the Exodus. Let's just bring that up. The Bible gives us a way of thinking about salvation that's really powerful and beautiful in the story of the Exodus. It's this epic, ancient story. If anybody isn't familiar with church and, and, and the Scriptures, it's this epic, ancient story of the people of Israel who had been enslaved in Egypt 400 years. They went there looking for food because a famine was happening and they ended up stuck there. So, uh, they, they're stuck there because the Pharaoh sees that they become prosperous and they multiply and they become a threat. So, he says, well, they're doing a little too well, so let's enslave them because suddenly we've got all of these slaves and, you know, we'll be able to build an awesome empire. So, he does that. And Israel gets stuck for 400 years in a foreign land with no identity, no freedom. And 400 years later, God decides to do something about it. And he's already prophesied this many chapters ago in the book of Genesis. He decides now is the time. And he starts, if anybody's seen The Prince of Egypt or any of the popular movies, you know the story. He uses a man called Moses to start challenging Pharaoh. And he asks Moses to go to Pharaoh and request that he let God's people go. And he starts negotiating with Pharaoh and also putting some threats out there saying, look, I really mean this, let my people go. If you don't, there will be consequences. And we hear about all these plagues of locusts and disease and famine that come upon the land because this stubborn, evil arch-enemy called Pharaoh just won't give him up. And in the end, his own evil really catches up with him and he pays a huge price for being so stubborn and it, it costs death, even the death of his own son, for him to let the people go. Now, this is where the Exodus gets so interesting in terms of salvation. 
he releases Israel, the people of Israel, and they flee. But then he's, again, this arrogant, I don't know what word I'm allowed to use. I'll say an arrogant douche. I don't know if that'll stay in the podcast, but anyway, he is. Um, so he, he chases them down again. And basically, God delivers them. And we know what happens at the Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds, where God holds back the waters and lets the Israelites through. And then he withdraws his hand of blessing with, from, from those waters which were held back. And who was still in the water? The armies that were chasing down the people of Israel. So suddenly, the Israelites find themselves on the other side of a sea, totally liberated and set free from evil and oppression and slavery. Wow. Epic story, memorable story for a reason. Now, when they get to the other side of this sea, something really beautiful and powerful happens. They sing the very first worship song in Scripture. Scripture is full of psalms and songs, but this is the first one. Let's bring up the start of this song of the sea. I will sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider He has thrown into the sea. We'll, we'll continue. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Here's the first moment where salvation is mentioned. This is my God and I will praise Him. Wow. So God liberates them from slavery and oppression and evil. And their response is worship. And they want to be in relationship with this God. They have seen the, the love and the mercy and the compassion of God, the justice of God, and they want to worship Him. Now, they put a lot of trust in God in the words of this song, and later in the song, they, they uh, say that God will be faithful to lead them to the promised land, which is really what they're waiting for. This is the prophecy that goes all the way back to early in Genesis when God made promises to Abraham. But usually when we think of Exodus, this is where the story kind of stops. This is where our minds just kind of lose interest. Because all this epic stuff's just happened. You know, the waters are parted and they're rescued and everything's awesome. But we forget what happens next. What happens next is a huge part of the story. They next end up in the desert hanging on a promise from God and waiting for the fulfillment of a promise from God. And they so quickly forget what God has done for them. They so quickly forget the promise of that salvation. They actually, soon enough, because of lack of water and food and things that anybody would be confused and upset about, if we're honest, they, they eventually go so far as to say, it was better in Egypt when we were slaves. Wow. So this song of the sea is a stunning song of worship. But they've forgotten their own song. They've forgotten what God has done for them. It's as though at the beginning of their story, their exodus from Egypt, God gave them dessert right at the beginning. God's serving them this dinner 
one silver platter at a time and it all comes out in a bit of an unusual order. They get dessert at the start and they're like, sweet, this is great, this is awesome. But that's all they're after. They, they miss out on the main meal, they miss out on the banquet that God has prepared for them. Because He's not drawing them out of Egypt just to draw them out of Egypt. He's drawn them out of Egypt to take them into a whole new place. They knew what they were saved from, but they forgot what they were saved into. They knew about their salvation out of one place and they forgot about their salvation into a new place. What was God's plan in all of this? We'll just go to the next slide. God's plan was to take them from this, out of Egypt, where they were oppressed as slaves, and into, basically His plan in the promised land was to remake the beautiful relationship that He had with humanity in the beginning, as though it were an Eden happening all over again. Garden of Eden made new. Now, why am I talking about all of this when we're talking about evangelism? We'll find out soon. It won't, it won't take much longer to get there. Um, the good news for us is that it was, a, it was a real struggle for them. They were called to be God's representatives in the world. But all they had to stay in relationship with God was the covenant and the law. We've got an advantage over the people of Israel we live after Jesus. We have access to the presence of God. The Holy Spirit has been unleashed on the world. And we can experience being with relationship, in relationship with God day by day by day, which was the promise that they tried to move towards, but they just couldn't do it on their own human strength. It is possible for us if we trust and follow Him. So, I'm going to suggest something. I'm going to suggest that maybe we think a little bit like the Israelites sometimes. And that our forgiveness and our salvation from sin and hell and evil is sometimes the thing that we think about. It's a moment of salvation. And we forget that we've been saved into a whole new reality, a whole new world, a whole new life with Jesus at the centre where He will actually walk hand in hand, day by day with us, renewing our minds, renewing our strength, changing us, transforming us into the likeness of Himself. Wow! Huge! When Paul talks about salvation, he uses three tenses, past, present and future. He's talking about believers when he uses all three tenses. If we look at Ephesians 2 verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Okay, we have 1 Corinthians 1.18, so past tense happens in Ephesians. In 1 Corinthians, for the message of the cross is foolishness, to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Present tense, 
was saved, I am being saved. And then Romans 5 verse 9. And again, this, he's talking about believers. Having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from condemnation. Now this is talking about the Revelation stuff, which of course we won't delve into today. But there's this important thing that we need to understand, that salvation is not a moment in time that is past if we're Christians. We are in the process every day of being saved. Wow! For some of you that might be a fresh revelation and it's a really important one. Because we miss out on the banquet if we only focus on the moment of salvation. We miss out on that blessed life as God's representative in the world. And not only that, this is the part that I'm really passionate about. If we just focus on that, the world misses out on what God will do through us. Only eating the dessert is kind of a selfish Christianity. Because when we go for the main course, that's when God can really start to use us as He shapes us and moulds us. We don't have to be perfect It's a process that will continue for the rest of our lives, past, present, future. But He will change the world through His people and we are called to be His people. Now, one way we can think about it, here comes the puppy, you ready? Where is she? There she is. Oh, little Hazel, little Hazel. Now, she's a great dog, we love her to bits. Um, she's a little bit of work, you know, puppies drop stuff around the place, uh, they make messes, you've got to clean them up, they bite everything, she's chewing our dining table legs and our chair legs and that's a real pain. But you know what, it's not the end of the world and it's just a little bit of time every day, you just got to make little investments and do some training and she's going to fit into our lives just fine. She's a good pet because she lives on my terms, I'm in control and sooner or later she's going to learn how this all works. Unfortunately, that's how many of us experience our faith life. Salvation's not a puppy. Salvation's not my cute little hazel there that fits into my life just fine. She's not something I add on to my life. Sorry, salvation is not something I add on to my life. Salvation is far more like something else. If we go to the next slide. It's much more like having a child. Everything in your life changes when you enter a relationship with God. And if you don't allow it to change you and do work on you, you're really missing out on the main course. You've taken the puppy instead of the real thing. I love my puppy, but she's not a baby. And even though what I'm saying, what I'm saying about salvation and evangelism sounds like more work, now we've got to convince people that it's a whole new life. That's an even bigger job. Why don't we just sell the dessert, right? Well, how many mums have you spoken to who've gone through all the hard work of raising a child, gotten to the end and said, should have had a puppy. (laughs) 
Really should have got a puppy instead. It's all just, I don't know, it's just too much work. There is work, but boy, is that work worth it. I can put my puppy on Gumtree if things don't work out. I won't do it. I love her. But this is what people do. How do you think we found her in the first place? We browsed the web. There was Gumtree and no pets on eBay, but all these other places where you can look at pets because people just don't know what to do with them. Babies change your whole life. There's no turning back. That's what salvation is like. Now, have I spent too much of my time on salvation? Oi, I kind of have. All right. That's okay. How did Jesus and the apostles invite people into this saved life? This is what we're talking about, evangelism. They used language that I don't think we can use today without modifying it a little bit. The language that they used was different. It was a different world and the gospel was brand new. We live in a very, very changed world now where people have kind of been inoculated against the gospel. It's like you get your flu shot and your body thinks it's had the flu so it doesn't get the flu. But, of course, the gospel is not like the flu at all. What I mean is that they think they've heard it all before. So, we have to change the way we we speak. We have to change the way we deliver this same story. They, basically, the message of Jesus and the apostles was, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. If you want to sum it up, that's the message. That's the gospel that they preached. It's not as harsh as it sounds, because when you really study what those words mean, repent and kingdom, they're saying, turn your life completely around, 180 degrees. It's time to change direction. Because God has come to earth and it's actually really good news because this guy called Jesus who is full of love and compassion and mercy, this is what God looks like and we want to let Him be in charge of our lives because He offers a whole new world, a transformed life, a transformed world. If, if we modernise those words, that's what we end up with and actually that's still a really powerful, relevant gospel. It's far better. I don't think people are looking for another thing to add on to their lives. I don't think people are looking for an attachment, an extra little philosophy. I think they're looking for a whole new way of seeing the world. And that's what Jesus gives us. So, the good news is, we can still preach that gospel now. That might be very intimidating. And I just want to help us all to breathe a little bit. And relax, because I truly believe that the great weight of all of this is a weight that's not our own, as strange as that might seem. I believe the yoke is easy and the burden is light. I believe that being honest about your experience of Jesus is what evangelism is, just opening yourself up to people. No longer holding that back, this part of your life that you've got siloed off because you're not supposed to talk about religion and politics. I reckon that's ridiculous. I would encourage you to ignore that stupid advice because religion and politics are probably the two most important things you could talk about. It's all about what's the meaning of everything, where do I come from, why am I here, where am I going? Religion on one side. Politics is all about what's going on in the world and justice, and right and wrong, and why on earth would we not want to talk about both of those things? 
So just talk about it. <laughs> just pull your walls down. Expose yourself, not in a disrespectful way. We have to communicate lovingly and respectfully, but just pull your walls down. You're not trying to close a deal. You're not trying to sell something. You're just trying to share who you are and what your relationship with Jesus has been like. So, we have this reach out list, which is an awesome thing. We'll just bring it up. And I really encourage you to do exactly what Greg encouraged us to do last week. Because it's a very deliberate act. But I also want to encourage you to think about this list in a certain way. This is my take on this anyway. Don't make people your project. Don't make a person a project. People hate that. People know when when they're being connived into something. Or I'm not saying anybody here is sly or deceptive. But people know, if you're hanging out with them, so you can get them over the line into church, and that's the only reason, they won't want to talk to you. We, most of us probably close our front door on someone like that once or twice a year. So we know what it feels like. Don't focus on the whole Bible. I had the privilege of being able to do that. That was very unique. I think most of the time, we've got to focus on Jesus. We've got limited time, limited opportunities to share the gospel with people. And the gospel at its core is the gospel of Jesus. It's the good news that God looks like Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. That's really good news. And a Christian is just someone who puts their trust in Jesus and tries to follow Him. So, if we get an opportunity to talk to somebody about God... I'm not going to get into creation and evolution and stuff like that. I'm just not. That's personally, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to talk about some guy who's been digging up Noah's Ark and found half of it on a mountain somewhere. I'm just not going to go there because it's all about Jesus. And if someone's going to meet God, they're going to do that through Him. The only way to the Father is through the Son. Also, puppy's making a comeback here. Don't sell the puppy pitch to people. Don't do it. The puppy is a lie. Where's my puppy? She's so cute. She's so fuzzy. Look at her. But the puppy is a lie. Behind this innocent, fuzzy exterior lies a brutal beast. (laughs) A brutal beast. And I say that because if we just give people dessert all the time, They're just going to be fat Christians who are happy and content in themselves and are missing out on the main course. And worse than that, the world is missing out on them taking past salvation, present salvation, future salvation into themselves. So don't sell the puppy pitch. I love my puppy, but she's not the real deal. Now... Instead, as I said, let's just choose to let our guard down with these five people. Let's choose to be honest about this part of our lives with those five people. That's not that hard to do. It does take some boldness because most of us keep that kind of divided off in conversation. Just forget about what's politically correct and lovingly, respectfully, tell them what you did on Sunday. 
I went to church and it was great. They were teaching about this stuff and it was interesting and you could talk about it. I mean, there's no law against this. So I just encourage you to let your guard down. Number two, pray for them regularly. Prayer is powerful. I've loved how much prayer happened today. Every little segment, there was prayer. Awesome. We know that prayer moves God to action. So let's pray for these five people. And last, so simply, just be extra loving to these five people in your life. Just lay on the love. Lather it on. Don't hold it back. Think of every which way you can possibly imagine to show them a love that looks like Jesus. If you're doing those three things, in a way, and please don't get too angry at me for saying this, you can leave heaven and hell and the end of the world in God's hands. You really can. This is an area we call, it falls under a thing we call divine justice. And those words are really great words. Because divine means it's His responsibility. And justice means it is truly fair and good. I believe in a loving, gracious God who does give people opportunities to respond to the gospel and does handle their eternal future with true justice and mercy. So I don't evangelize. I'm a full-time mission worker. And I don't evangelize to save people from hell. That's not my focus. That's really important part of the story but it's only part of the story. I want to share the gospel with people to introduce Jesus into their lives, change their lives and let the world change through them. Now, last thing, again, this is totally my own thought. Don't be afraid to put a sixth person on your list. But that sixth person isn't just Bob from Bob's farm. I just made that up, that was all right. Put your own name there which sounds really weird, but that's a reminder of two things. It's a reminder to be humble because you haven't got it all together. And it's a reminder that your salvation is still happening. doesn't mean you're not saved. Please understand that's not what I'm saying. It just means it's a process as well as a moment. And God continues to restore you from the inside. So, what's evangelism? It's inviting someone into a whole new life with Jesus, right at the center. It's a saved life. But practically, we basically do that by telling them what our life with Jesus is like. If you don't feel like your life with Jesus is a transforming life, where you get closer to Him every day, I understand that feeling. This is a time to recognize that, reflect on that, and put Jesus right at the center of your life and your affection. If you just feel like your life has been, your Christian life has been a moment, a climactic moment where you gave your heart to God and then nothing much else happened, I encourage you to just put Jesus at the center of everything and see what happens. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your goodness again. We thank you for your goodness. I pray that you'll help us to love you with our whole hearts, from our whole hearts. Lord, I thank you for 
the people in our lives that we have the opportunity to share with. Thank you that you've placed people within our realm, within our social circles, in our workplace, whatever. Help us to actually see it as an exciting privilege to just share what you have done in our lives, to tell them what you have done for us and what our life with you is like. Lord, I pray that you will ease any burden that we are solely responsible for the futures of people, but also lay us with a right burden to share you with the world because you work through us. We invite that burden, your burden, onto us to desire for people around us to see you and love you and seek you all the more, Lord. Lord, help us to find those five people. Commit those five people to you in prayer. Love them generously. Lord, help us to let our guards down and have the courage to just go there with people and be honest. We thank you for what you do in our lives, Lord. I just pray that you'll help us to share it in the way that you're calling us to share it, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the message today brought to you by Baylife Church. We hope the message leaves you feeling challenged and inspired to live out your Christian walk. Please tune in again for next week's message.